Hey everybody, Lance here from the Warrior Monk Podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining me here again. This episode, I have Brooke West. She is a registered dietitian, and she has been working with both traditional athletes and tactical athletes for the past several years. And I thought it was really cool to link up with her. Uh, If anyone's followed the Warrior Monk podcast on our Instagram and Facebook, you know that I post a lot of pictures of my food. I love food. I love eating healthy. I like eating unhealthy, too. But I was fortunate enough growing up that I grew up in a household where we ate a lot of raw food, we ate a lot of vegetables, we ate a lot of salads, we ate a lot of clean meats. And it's really, I didn't realize until being an adult that I was unique in this, that the majority of us in the American diet, we don't really eat that well. So I had a little bit of an advantage in creating good eating habits as a kid growing up. And obviously with a background in molecular biology, I'm interested in metabolism and how all these things we put in our body affect us. And we get into some really cool topics in this podcast about not just eating for general health, but how it relates to mental health and then some of the uh, effective strategies to eat healthier on a budget, how to eat more effectively for performance. And I really think you guys are going to enjoy some of the information that Brooke has to offer. So... If you guys haven't already, go check out the Warrior Monk podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Give us a like and a follow. I'd really appreciate it. If you know someone who may enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. And if you're interested, shoot me a direct message on Instagram or Facebook, and I'd love to connect with you. All right, guys. Brooke Wes, registered dietitian. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Warrior Monk podcast. And I'm pretty excited today because I've got Brooke West joining me on the podcast. Brooke, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So I picked up to you on social media because uh, you first started working with the uh, guys uh, within the soft community over at uh, Softfleet, and um, they put out some really great content and are continuing to do so. And they brought you on board for a while as, as uh, the dietitian uh, for their programming and, and bringing the food realm in, which is so important for us to speak on nutrition uh, for any anybody in general, right? But especially for people or athletes or in, in the special operations, military, first responder uh, world where your job is super dependent on your performance. Um, so yeah, don't let me uh, take away from, from giving you a, a good introduction, but please uh, give my listeners a little bit of a background on you. Yeah, absolutely. I did my undergraduate work at Virginia Tech. I'm actually repping their gear today. Go Hokies. Um, And I fell in love with sports nutrition while I was there. I started working for VT Athletics, and that was like my first taste. I worked with Olympic sports, not so much with football. Uh, Frank Beamer was like very specific about not having distractions around his players, but I worked with all the Olympic sports and really fell in love with this idea of kind of fine tuning ourselves as humans with nutrition. It just was, you know, really inspiring to me. Um, and I went to Mississippi state to do my graduate work and my dietetic internship. And then immediately after I found the job listing for softly. And I was like, this sounds crazy. Awesome. Very unique and non-traditional which I knew I wanted. And so I came and moved to North Carolina for that role where I then created the nutrition programming portion of the app and kind of got into working more with tactical athletes. That's awesome. And uh, do you like that space now that you've, that's kind of where you got your, your start after leaving the educational world? I do. I feel like it's such a unique population with a different subset 
especially different from like collegiate athletes. Um, it's just a whole new world where, you know, your, your longevity is going to be really hard sometimes in that profession. So it's like, how do I support this person to make sure that they can be durable and strong and perform at work in the gym and still have some type of balance to show up and home and for their, themselves. And I really like kind of the unique considerations that come along with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know one thing that, that to take into consideration for this, this realm talking about the, the tactical athlete too, is like, uh, I know a lot of times in the professional athlete world, like there's, they're catered to a lot uh, there's a lot of money involved, big bucks. And, you know, there's, they can literally have someone deciding almost down to the every calorie, unless they're sneaking what, what they're putting in. But with, uh, you know, this community of, of, tactical athletes, it's like, uh, you know, you can make suggestions, but there's a lot of free range for people to decide what they, what they do and don't put in their bodies as far as nutrition goes. Um, so kind of stepping into that realm. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about like working as a dietitian, like some, what are some of the big challenges that you see, uh, in coaching this space and working with people in that, that relationship with food? I think, one of the biggest things I notice when I start working with someone is just how out of touch a lot of us can easily become with our bodies and the feedback it's trying to give us. Uh, it's so interesting. And we try to apply a lot of these nutrition prescriptions because we're like, oh, I read so-and-so did it. I saw an article or an influencer, you know, whatever, and you apply it, and you're not listening to the feedback your body might be giving you. And so that's usually one of the first things I have to tackle is like, this mind-body connection is so important. And we have to get back in touch with how different things are affecting you, and so we can respond. I like to say, I always use science as my starting line, but at the end of the day, it's going to be how you respond that dictates where we take it. There's never actually this one size fits all approach. So it's so important that that's kind of the first step of like, just slow down. How do you actually feel eating this way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's super important. And and just I, I know that in my own experience with changing how I eat and what I eat, certain styles of eating, it's it's not a one size fits all approach, right? And I think there's even like a lot of genetic testing that people are doing now to try to get into the nitty gritty. Uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it does have to do like where where did your ancestors live? What kind of diet did they, did they have? Uh, I mean, we, I know we see it in, in America, especially with, with, you know, Hispanic populations like this, this refined flour, uh, high refined carbohydrate diet, which has worked pretty, pretty good for, for European based genetic populations does not work well for them and leads to the increase, you know, uh, body fat percentages, obesity, diabetes, and you name it. I really do think that testing is going to be the way of the future with nutrition, like really digging into the blood work and you as a person and how you're going to respond. I, I think that that's kind of where we're headed, if I had to predict. Yeah. And the gut health stuff of, of not only is it your DNA, your genetics, your ancestry, what is the blood work telling us? What is the gut health and microflora telling us to then really tailor a nutrition prescription to people? Mm -hmm. And especially as I guess the testing methods become more cost effective, right. For people to actually mail in a kit and, and get one done. And actually someone was asking me about it and I guess there's like a food allergy tests and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And there's some, some stuff with that you have to be careful of because food allergies are not always consistent with the, 
I think the type of antigens that they test for, but, mm -hmm. um, but I know definitely coming back to a genetic piece, I think there's, there's a lot to that, but, um, yeah. So what other, what other challenges have you, have you been seeing in that realm as well? I think one of the most common ones, I work with both men and women, and I think we have a tendency to recognize women struggle with this kind of what I describe as diet culture or like diet mentality, but it's actually really common in men as well. And I've seen this in my tactical athletes. Big one is like a fear of carbohydrates and kind of overcoming some of these old mindsets of, Hey, it actually, there's a place for this at the right time and in the right, uh, you know, in the right form. And it serves a purpose and can creating balance for someone, especially if your goal is performance-based. So I think that's another challenging thing. It's probably a lot harder than a lot of like tackling, like, okay, what do I buy at the store? But changing your mindset is like a whole other ballgame. Yeah. And it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that you work with your clients and athletes that you work with a lot on kind of an educational piece as well. So not just telling them what they should or shouldn't put in their bodies, but the kind of why as well. Is that right? Exactly. I, I work with people one-on-one -on -one in, you know, a longer format. I'm working with people for six to 12 months because my goal is to be your last stop on that diet train or that confusion or the, a lot of this misinformation. And a big piece of it is going through learning objectives. And I have a four-phase process that I work through with people because I want you to, when we're done, I want you to have the understanding of, okay, I know what my body's telling me. I know how to adapt to give it what it needs in these different situations and the choices that are going to be best for me. So it's it's very much kind of education-based. And, uh, you know, I do find consistency is another struggle with people. And I think working with people in this format where we really are taking our time to only use one or two changes at a time makes it a lot easier for people to be consistent. It's much more digestible. We're kind of like skill stacking these behaviors and habits until we can really get to that big outcome and that big change. And for some people, you know, that's a, a long time coming if they have really big goals, but you know, one or two steps at a time really helps with that consistency. Yeah, I think I think you're 100 percent right on that consistency piece too, and I, I sit with people all the time too. And I think a little bit of, of it is, you know, trying to break this Americanized culture that we have of the easy button, right? And um, I'm sure we'll, we can we could go down that avenue and, and talk about it forever. But like, you know, everybody wants the the magic pill. Um, mm -hmm. It's uh, not many people want to put in the work, but I think your approach to it is is really good. It is, you know, making small small subtle changes that aren't uh, you know huge feats. If you've got someone who's been living their whole life on a refined carbohydrate diet. And all of a sudden you tell them like, all right, we're starting keto this week. And they're, they're going to, they're really going to struggle. It's going to be not just a shock to their metabolism and their system, but it's going to be like a shock to their mental process and just how they look at, at food and eating and everything. I would say that's a pretty common misconception when I work with clients too, is they think, okay, you're just going to tell me what to do. And I'm like, no, actually the first thing you're going to do is give me a seven day food log so I can be a fly on the wall and know what you've been doing. And that's our starting line. Sure. It's not, Hey, I'm going to automatically put you at this optimal level. It's actually, we're going to close that gap in a way that's going to be much healthier for your body and your metabolism, but also your mindset and, and making sure that it's going to be a sustainable lasting change. Yeah, absolutely. And in, I want to kind of 
touch on that too and, and bridge to that because you were you mentioned something about like the the mind gut connection and uh, I really wanted to talk to you a little bit about mental health uh, to, to kind of delve into that a little bit about the you know that this connection that we we see between diet and mental health and I know when I was a kid growing up maybe in middle school and stuff you know uh, people were really trying to tackle bulimia and anorexia and there was a lot of you know stigmas about that and, and trying to how we handle that but um, I think we're we're seeing more and more all the time now with um, you know, publications from MDs and, and other stuff too about this this connection to our our mental health and serotonin production, all that stuff. So, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on on that the information that's coming out and how does that affect uh, how you're prescribing food for people? Yeah, this is something I'm really passionate about. Uh, when I was at Virginia Tech, I got involved with a program they had where if you were working with a counselor on campus, whether that was being treated for an eating disorder, depression, anxiety, they actually paired you with a dietitian and a personal trainer and created this interdisciplinary, very holistic approach. And so I think that shaped a lot of, of my beliefs. And uh, I really believe in the power of food to support us. And there's different things, I think, that affect our mood that we might not always pay attention to. And it's worth noting that if you're dehydrated, you haven't been moving enough. You haven't been outside and connected with nature. You know, all of these things will impact your mood just as it's kind of this uh, symbiotic relationship, I I really believe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, before even thinking food wise, there's definitely things we can do to support, you know, like good mood food. I like that. Good mood food. Um, And uh, the biggest part, you know, I believe is the gut health piece of things and recognizing, you know, this is where a lot of our hormones and neurotransmitters are actually created in the gut and they do communicate back and forth. And especially anyone who struggled with something like IBS will know that like the anxiety or something can trigger this physiological response and it goes back and forth. And there's definitely a couple things that can lay the foundation for someone. And I think the having a healthy gut is really important. And what this looks like in practice is hydration, prebiotic foods, probiotic foods, all that good stuff to kind of support a healthy gut. The second big thing would be stabilizing your blood sugar. We don't really talk about this too much, but this is the idea of building a balanced plate and having, you know, fat, carbohydrate, protein, fiber, all present at a meal. Uh, I've watched this firsthand really impact some of my tactical athletes. I have one super badass fighter pilot. It has been an absolute game changer for brain fog, focus, energy levels, all really important when you're, you know, operating some pretty crazy machinery and like you need to be able to perform and focus. So, you know, I think that's especially important for tactical athletes is stabilizing blood sugar and that way we can regulate and stabilize energy levels. Sure. Uh, and there's a lot of people now that are doing the, uh, the glucose monitors, right. The, uh, especially a lot of the biohackers and the community and stuff like that. But how, how would someone, you know, who's not necessarily going to that extreme approach to monitor kind of know about how would they go about stabilizing their blood sugar? Like what are kind of some easy strategies to do that? I think the easiest one is the plate method. Mm -hmm. So if you think about your plate and this changes depending on how much activity you have, but if you think about a plate, at least a fourth of it should be a lean protein source. At least a fourth of it should be 
carbohydrates. We're talking starchy veggies, healthy whole grains, whatever's best for you, your tolerance and your taste preference. The other half should be produce. So, you know, fruits and veggies, if you're, especially if you're active, like, you know, I would, I would consider that fruit and some veggies and there should be a healthy fat source present and you're going to get fiber from that produce. Um, the healthy fat source could be a topping or like an oil dressing. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like an avocado. Mm -hmm. It can be kind of mixed into that blend but really building that balanced plate. And the way this looks like with snacks usually is pick two of the macronutrients of the fat, carbohydrate, and protein, and a source of produce, like some type of veggie usually, mm -hmm. yep. so that you can create that balance and kind of a, a smaller model, right? Like, okay, I need a quick snack. What does that look like? Like it could be, um, you know, like carrots, hummus, pita chips. That's one of my client's favorites. I'm going to use them as an example. Sure. So that's kind of what that looks like in practice really quick as a snack. Okay. That's a good, that's a good way to break it down. Uh, and then, uh, so that stabilizing blood sugar, and then also going back to the, the gut health piece, you, you mentioned, um, prebiotics and probiotics. Now, and I know a lot of people out there are pretty familiar with the concept of probiotics now, whether it's, you know, cultured yogurt, uh, kimchi, sauerkraut, things of that nature. But what, when you say pre prebiotics, what does that kind of entail? Yeah. So things like, it's basically like fibrous foods. It's a type of fibrous food that feeds the probiotic or the good bacteria of the gut. Like that's right. kind of the, it fuels that. So it's important to have basically a wide variety of foods. Usually I like to recommend 40 to 50 foods per week, which you would be shocked. A lot of us don't do. You mm -hmm. start paying attention. But if we really have that good diversity in the diet, making sure a lot of that is fruits, veggies, and whole grains, those are what that prebiotic fiber is going to come from. And that'll okay. feed all the good gut bugs, basically. Okay. Totally makes sense. I mean, my background being in molecular biology, I think if it's like, you know, if you want certain strains of bacteria to survive, you have to make it a hospitable environment. And uh, I know specifically from uh, from BrainMaker reading that last year, Dr. Perlmutter's book, he talks about C. diff in the gut a lot, which, you know, there's some links there to ADHD, uh, ADHD and even autism with uh, C. diff because it's like a very high sugar demand type of bacteria and constantly pouring sugar in the system gives it a really thriving environment for the C. difficile, which doesn't, according to his research, doesn't produce anywhere near the serotonin levels that um, the, the bifidus and uh, uh, lactobacilli and some of these other healthier strains do. So I guess by the prebiotics, it's really just kind of given the complementary fiber type foods for those, the, the right bacteria, the good guys to, to exist down there. Exactly. Okay. That cool. was like a great explanation. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Good right. correlation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that book, by the way, I would recommend anybody who's on this podcast who wants to get like their feet wet, I guess, and understanding that, that connection, the brain maker was a really good place to, to start. And he's, he's had several other, Dr. Perlmutter's had several other books that I haven't gotten around to reading yet, but, uh, yeah, I know one of his grain, I think grain brain is another, which is kind yep. of involves in the whole thing on carb, high carbohydrate diet, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, very, uh, I don't know what the, I guess, layman's terms or like, you know, easy, easy way to get started without having to go, go into like a molecular biology or, or, you know, dietitian class or something that's that in depth. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we talked about, uh, the blood sugar, uh, healthy gut, uh, what else? A big thing is managing those cortisol levels. This is a struggle for, probably everyone, you know, with everything going on this last year, 
but it's really important to support your body every way you can. You probably would have even better advice of like how to do that than I would, but it is really important and something I have to work with for clients because if we're trying to support your body nutritionally, if you're not sleeping, if you're super stressed, those things will affect and hinder our progress. Mm -hmm. So that's super important to make sure you're supporting healthy, normal cortisol levels. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know that's been a big one in the, in the soft environment. And they've even had people come to, uh, you know, where I was stationed at Herbert Field to talk about this, this relation, because, you know, du- dudes on the battlefield, were constantly concerned about having good testosterone levels, right? Because the Department of Defense wants us to have it because it keeps you aggressive and keeps you in the fight, <laughs> but it's also, it's also super healthy for guys because it, you know, it makes you strong and, you know, you, su- you need it. But man, some of the people's cortisol levels constantly go into the roof. And it's not just the stress that we talk about, like combat related stress where there's low sleep and change of environment. But a lot of the stuff in our everyday life now is showing to really increase people's basal or base level of cortisol, right? Like the, the staring at the phone all the time. And of course, all the blue light uh, emission, you know, as we go into the evening time, I don't know, do you follow Dr. Huberman uh, at Stanford at all? I have actually not heard of him. I would highly recommend looking him up. He's a he's an ophthalmologist and neuroscience guy, but a, a big part of his research is talking about the 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 brain connection with light, uh, and he's constantly giving really good educational advice on you know how to how to actually properly uh, expose yourself to light for the the better melatonin production levels and and getting into that good sleep cycle because you know it, and it's for us in the the tactical community. I mean, if you're if you're in a special operations or even law enforcement community, somebody's got to going to be working that graveyard shift and you're on Mm. this reverse cycle of you're getting not the normal human light exposures, right? So there's, you almost have to have a way to hack or compensate for that lifestyle that you live. Um, And definitely trying to avoid the the stuff that you can control, right? Which is like how much you're staring at the phone and stuff like that is, is a big piece of that. But yeah, it's, it's great that you're, you're catching on to the, to the cortisol piece too, because it's, I mean, I know I've almost noticed in my own life when I've uh, had too much stress and like I could can almost tell, well, it's, I mean, I guess I have a little bit deeper knowledge than the average person would, but uh, we're, I want to get into supplements with you too, but we'll, we'll get into that one for cortisol, but deaspartic acid actually has been shown pretty, pretty regularly to uh, help blunt the cortisol response, which is good in a short term, maybe not a long term thing to do, like to take it every single day. But if you know mm-hmm. you're in a situation where you know you're in higher stress and hopefully we'll be getting out of it in a week or two, it, it works pretty good as that. So so we're talking about stress response and cortisol. We talked about healthy gut, blood sugar. What else, what else do you recommend? The two other important things are, you know, making sure your thyroid is healthy and balanced really important. And the biggest thing there is making sure you're eating enough and consistently. And for most people, I recommend that this is in a 12-hour window you're eating and a 12-hour window you're fasting. Mm -hmm. I don't like to call it intermittent fasting, but it's just like really it's more of an eating pattern to support your circadian rhythm and make sure that your thyroid is happy. And then I think the last thing really is just making sure you are eating plenty of fruits, veggies, quality protein, healthy fats, because that's the raw material essentially that your body's going to take and make neurotransmitters and make hormones. So just, you know, that balance again comes into play. Yeah. And I'm, I'm finding out more all the time that like eating as close as I can get to non-refined, which, uh, you know, and, and raw food, uh, 
is the bet the better I feel. I'm sure you find the same thing with with people you work with too. Um, yeah. and that's great. You recognize that and like can draw that connection. Yeah, I was lucky too. I, I talked to you a little bit before we got started on on doing podcasts, but my uh, my parents were very big on. They were of the hippie generation, and you know, s- salads. I always had salads in the house growing up, and I, I didn't realize until I was an adult that like a lot of people grew up, and that's not the case. You know, maybe they did a Caesar salad, but uh, something with a lot of dressing, a lot of high high fat dressing. But I was yep, like ranch. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, the, the ranch dressing. But you know, my my dad was like, you know, we had mixed, mixed field greens with, uh, you know, bell peppers and tomatoes and cucumbers. And then, you know, he would make, he would just throw together balsamic vinegar and, and extra virgin olive oil with a little salt and pepper in there and made his own dressing instead of buying the, you know, the stuff that's been sitting on a shelf somewhere for who knows how long and stuff like that. So yeah, I guess it's a little bit of a, a, a privilege that I, I, I had, but, uh, definitely made a big influence on me and how I, how I ate, uh, as an adult. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I want to step back to the supplement realm. Um, so the analogy that I, I like to make is that um, you know supplements and cosmetics have this kind of general generalized trend where you know the supplement industry—they're both billion-dollar industries, right? And the supplement industry really tailors to the men. Like, you take this, you're going to get jacked. Take this, you're going to be great in bed. Blah 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 blah. And for women, you know, the cosmetics—it's like, well, you know, put this on your skin, and you're going to look ten years younger. Or you know, put this. XYZ brand is going to make your lips look 20% more plumper. You know, you, you, you pick the marketing scheme and I'm sure it's been out there. Um, so in, in your opinion is, I know a lot of the supplements are junk, but there's some that you think maybe are good and what, what you kind of recommend for people if they are, you know, uh, needing supplementation and how you go about deciding whether that's something good to incorporate or not. Yeah. I love the topic of supplements. Uh, you know, stop me if I go too far down the rabbit hole, but it's so fascinating to me that they're unregulated by Mm -hmm. anyone and they can say whatever they want. They can, they really can. And until they hurt someone or, you know, then that's when they backtrack and they're like, well, this might not be so great. So one of the, a really good trusted resource for anyone who, you know, has questions about one I don't talk about today, I would really recommend looking at, um, the Olympic Committee. There's someone I, I really trust as far as putting together the research to decide if there actually is some type of benefit, if it's generally recognized as safe and all that good stuff. When I make supplement recommendations, I'm usually basing it off all kinds of stuff like lab values, dietary intake, specific needs. There's a lot that goes into it, but I do think there are some specific supplements that I wanted to cover for tactical athletes, like keeping that in mind, ones I Mm -hmm. think that are backed by some good research and uh, worth considering for someone who's like a healthy adult. Uh, The first one and the most researched supplement ever is creatine. Did you know that's like the most researched supplement? I've heard that. And I know there's a lot of, I've actually... Um, I don't want to cut you short on it because I do want to talk about creatine, but uh, had an incident where where I was stationed at Herbert Field where they were basically trying to say, you know, people in training can't take any any supplement. And they're, they're, the thing they wanted to quote was creatine because they're like, creatine is jacking guys up and it's, it's, it's really, um, really like shutting down their kidneys and blah, blah, blah. And I actually, I wanted to counter them. So I started looking up research on creatine articles and it was literally 
dozens, if not hundreds of creatine articles. And, and I'm like, this is extremely well studied. So yeah, uh, continue down that avenue. So you're, you're uh, in support of people supplementing with creatine? I am. I, I think that, you know, if it supports what you're looking for. So most of the research is done with, you know, enhancing that adaptive response to exercise, specifically explosive movements and power, which especially tactical athletes, you kind of need to be a balance of everything. But right. so let's say you're like a runner, you know, it might not be a good, a good choice for you. But I do think that it's some really interesting research also about kind of supporting the body after exercise and kind of the muscle soreness and making sure you can recover faster. And what also I think is worth noting is a lot of the times they're like, oh, you need to do this crazy loading phase of like 20 grams per day for so many days. You really don't need to do that. The dose is just three to five grams per day. And if you do that, you'll still load and be fine over time. So there's no need to like chug a bunch of water and take a bunch of creatine. So it's just three to five grams a day for someone. Also, there's really interesting research. If you're ever bedridden or you're injured and you can't do anything, that taking creatine will help preserve the oh, muscle wow. integrity. So that, you know, that's great. If someone ever gets injured, it's something to like keep in mind and like consult someone, um, to make sure that you're supporting your body through that as well. Yeah. I've never heard that before. That's really good to know. Cause we've all, I mean, we've all been there. If you're in any kind of athlete, you know, where you get a sprained ankle or, you know, minor, minor sport related injuries happen. And then you get, um, you know, maybe not necessarily taken completely out of training, but you can't train hard and you don't want to lose your gains. Right. So that's a, yeah. that's a pretty good, a little hack right there with creatine. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I wish I could remember the name of the doctor who does this, but I connected with a doctor doing research on TBIs mm -hmm. and he had a really interesting protocol with omega-3 supplementation. And this is another good one. That's important for everyone. Um, you know, not just even athletes, there's just so much benefit to having omega-3 within your diet or supplementing it. Something worth noting though is omega-3 acts like if you take fish oil, acts as a blood thinner. So there are certain populations where you need to be careful with this. If you're planning on having a surgery or something, you know, you want to avoid this usually for like at least two weeks. Mm -hmm. But there's some really good protocol where they believe it actually, there's research to support that it improves your cognitive function, helps the healing process, and maybe even protective from TBIs and the damage that that, you know, traumatic brain injury might cause. So that's really great. Also, you know, enhancing that recovery and the muscle process and DOMS and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. a lot to be said there. And for fish oil, it's usually about two grams or omega-3, two grams per day is the recommended safe guideline that they've researched for having performance benefit in athletes. And you can get a lot of that naturally too, right? Through certain nuts and, and fish oils that, you know, salmon, things of that nature. Yeah. Fatty fishes, um, mm -hmm. hemp hearts, I think are like my favorite of the yeah. moment. High in omega-3. Careful if you're, if you're in the DOD, you can't, you're not supposed to do anything hemp related if you're a, you know, government employee, but if you're a veteran, indulge, enjoy. And it's, that's another. Does it trigger a, a, Response it, in the test? You'd have to you'd have to eat such a large amount of it because it's like very very trace uh, amounts of any kind of THC. But it's uh, it's one of those things that you know because of the way drug policy is written, even something that's hemp that's not psychoactive is on on the no no. Um, ah. I found that out the hard way because I was actually taking hemp hearts and then uh, got called in to to do one of the tests and I saw that there's like a pamphlet. 
of like certain stuff. And it was talked about, I guess, poppy seeds, you know, anybody that's seeing like a lot of poppy seed bagels. And then it said any of the hemp product. And I was like, Oh, I guess I should be, should take that out of the diet. <laughs> oh gosh. I eat so much of them. I would probably trigger a drug test because I just love them. I put them in everything. Yeah. They're, they're super healthy for you. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm really hoping that the laws are going to change here soon because I mean, there's a lot of stuff, cool stuff we could be doing with hemp in this country. It's not just the, not just the stoners uh, that, yeah. that, that want to start get, getting it to help out the country economically and, and do creative stuff with it. But yeah, that's another rabbit hole. So omega-3 fatty acids and then what else? One of the newer ones I was looking at was collagen research and specifically with joint pain. There was some research done with knee pain and supplementing with collagen reduces that joint pain. And then they noticed within the joint, there was more collagen present. There's iffy studies, like I guess overcrossing into the beauty realm that this does show up in the skin. You have more proline and more collagen in the skin and and that, you know, connective tissue, which is great. But um, I am someone now as I age who I feel that joint pain. So I just did a bunch of research and I started supplementing with collagen myself. And usually the recommended dose there, according to research, if you flip over a collagen supplement bottle, they'll probably tell you something different. But according to research, it's 10 grams of collagen hydrolysate. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, per day is what that looks like. If you want to help with the joint pain. Oh, I, I hadn't heard that. I, I'd heard about the skin, the skin type stuff for collagen. And I've, I've heard some of the other people in the biohacking community promote it. And I didn't really, I hadn't heard that though about the, the decreasing joint pain. So I might actually start putting that into my supplement regimen because uh, the, the almost 10 years of running around and rucking and jumping out of planes and helicopters and all that stuff does. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it wears you down. Care. Yeah. And the thing uh, too, if it's better absorbed with vitamin C. So if you get one, oh, like just mix it in with maybe like some OJ or like an OJ based smoothie, you know, something yeah. like that for that vitamin C. Sometimes the supplements have ascorbic acid or vitamin C in it, but if it doesn't just, you know, 12 ounces of OJ, you're golden. Cool. Actually, I'm going to make a side note there on to that as well. Like how, what are your thoughts on supplementing with, with vitamin C, especially it's a hot topic right now because of all the, the COVID stuff over the past year. Do you think that's, that's helpful to use ascorbic acid? I support it because based on the research, it helps with immune function mm -hmm. and it's also water soluble. Right. It would be really hard for you to do something where you were having an unhealthy amount of it. So at worst you have expensive pee. That's like what I tell people. I'm like, this is an expensive insurance policy, like right. at worst case scenario. So, you know, if you have the means and it's something you want to do, like I totally support, you know, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, all those things mm -hmm. that support immune function. Yeah. Always food first, but yes, I do think, you know, good quality supplements, like there's a place for that for some people. Okay, cool. All right. So, sorry, I got you sidetracked. What else? <laughs> it's all good. Um, so talking like anti-inflammatory, uh, you know, obviously most people can relate to this, but especially tactical athletes, we really need to control a lot of that inflammation. Mm -hmm. So curcumin or, you know, that from the spice turmeric, yep. a lot of good research there. Also tart, uh, tart cherry juice. Mm -hmm. okay. Good research to support that as well. And, and kind of helping to decrease that inflammatory response and those inflammatory cytokines. So, you know, that's the research supports five grams a day of curcumin. That's a lot. So definitely yeah. like get it in supplement form. Don't try to like whip out your turmeric and like sprinkle five grams on something. <laughs> yeah. I, but, cook um, I quit cook with it on a regular basis. And it's like, you know, the little, the little spoon that comes with, with it is like maybe a gram. And I mean, that mm -hmm. is like, 
it'll it's funny too because if you if you cook with it it's like it's a very fine powder and the next thing you know everything in your kitchen is like yellow or orange yeah uh, so getting the five grams would be a lot so definitely. i love fresh turmeric too but it does the same thing you're gonna have like orange and yellow hands yep exactly but i'll throw that in with you know so I, I basically make this like anti-inflammatory concoction and I do fresh turmeric, collagen, splash of OJ, water, and then I do some other berries for added vitamin C. And that's kind of my go-to version of supporting my you know current needs as like my joint pain and wanting to just make sure immune function is doing well. So that's kind of my, my go-to. Awesome. When you, you need to bottle that and, and put your name on it. <laughs> I should share the recipe on social media. I think people would appreciate it. It's delicious. Put yeah, some I, fresh ginger in there too. Oh yeah. I want to try it. If you, yeah, I'll, I'll look out for you. You should put it up for sure. I will. For tart ter- cherry juice. Why can't I say that today? That's like, that's sure. so funny. It's, it's a little bit of a tongue twister. Yeah. So the dose for that, according to research is 250 to 350 milliliters, or if it's concentrated, it's about 30 milliliters. Okay. Yeah. Which for, for people in ounces, what 30 milliliters is like, is that just, that's only like a couple ounces, right? Yeah. I don't know the exact, but that's a very, very, it would almost be like a shot probably like a small amount. Um, but it does help, especially after a big event and you're trying to promote recovery, just Mm -hmm. like do that for a couple times a day for a couple days after a big event to help decrease that inflammation. Cool. Yeah. Another common one people always ask about is whey protein. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And it does not actually have any type of athletic performance you know, associated with it. It's no different than eating protein. So there's no added benefit, I guess. But I do like to mention that it is, it has a place because of its convenience. You know, if you're in a situation where you don't have time to get high quality lean protein, then it's certainly a good thing to grab for convenience and will be beneficial because of what it is. But the powder will not give you any type of added benefit over eating protein. Right. And I know there's a lot of bro science uh, over the years of like, you've got it, there's like a 30 minute window. And if you don't get that protein, that, that protein shake within that 30 minute window, all your, all your gains are lost. bro. <laughs> uh, and I'm starting to see more studies now that that's not necessarily true. You've got kind of like a, almost like a 24 hour window of protein synthesis to get that protein in your system. Do you, do you ascribe to that information? Yeah, I yeah, I call it like the anabolic barn door. It's right. kind of this much bigger window than we originally thought. And it does have this kind of diminishing return effect, right. but you're going to get benefit f- mm-hmm. from it. So, and I, I will admit that when I was in college and I was studying nutrition, I prescribed to that school of thought. I would bring my shake after my lift, yep. like immediately after I'm like, I am on it. And then I get to studying and reading research and I'm like, oh man, like I didn't need to do all that. Yeah. I'm, I'm an intermittent faster and and I don't, it's not for everybody, but it's worked really well for me. I've been doing it for like 10 years now, but that was always a thing for me is like, I, I typically fast for the first half of my day and eat for the second half, but I have, I like to work out in the morning. So it's like, Oh man, I, how do I, I, I'm, and people would always say that to me, like, how are you going to do that, man? You're going to lose all your gains training fasted and then not. And it's like, "Mm, well, you know, I, at first I thought like, yeah, I guess maybe I was losing out on gains and stuff like that. But I, yeah, I realized, and especially seeing other people my age that are, you know, have been slamming the bro shakes and, and they're (laughs) 
I mean, just as broke as I am at, at certain times. Um, and also like struggling with their own fitness goals, whether it be strength or, you know, losing fat or whatever. So yeah, it's definitely, it's nice to see the science being published. And I feel like in the athletic training, uh, strength conditioning dietitian world, there's kind of like more and more good science coming out too. Uh, and this has actually been one of my favorite things about becoming a, a strength and a certified strength conditioning coach is getting the NSCA's publications or not their publications, but publications in the, in the field, uh, you know, that come out because, you know, some of these trains of thought, I mean, we know a lot of them have been kind of pushed because of the, the, the industry, right. To make money, like the, the supplements, Absolutely. um, but, you know, following, following up with good science so that you actually know what, what you're, what you're, what you're preaching and what you're practicing and actually coming from someplace evidence-based and not just the bro science. Yeah, absolutely. So important. All right. So, uh, yeah. Any, anything else for, for supplements? That's, that's all really great information. Yeah. I think those were kind of the main ones that like I wanted, I wanted to mention, there's really only a, a solid handful backed by a really big amount of science. Mm -hmm. There's so much, I think what's also cool and you kind of touched on is there's always new science. Yeah. So what I said today on this date in February, you know, might not be true down the line. So I always preface this. I'm like, this is how I feel about it right now based on the science, but let's talk in a couple of yeah. years. You never know. But that's great. You know, a lot of people get kind of stuck in the mentality of like, you know, this is what's right. And that's, what's always going to be right. But part of being, you know, involved in science and evident, like being evidence-based in general is like the ability to change your decision on something based on, you know, evidence on science instead of just being like, I guess, religiously tied to something, which I know a lot of people really do with, with food. I'm sure you, you, you talk to people, like I said, I'm, I like doing the intermittent fasting thing, but I'm not like out there trying to tell everyone in the world, like everybody needs intermittent fast or you're, you know, or you're, you're just going to be obese or, you know, I'm sure you see people with carnivore diet and keto and oh, yeah. everything under the sun. So I've made a lot of like carnivore, keto, low carb people, very angry with my opinions, <laughs> very angry. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because people get kind of tribal about it. Right. But, um, something I really want to talk to you about, uh, is eating healthy in general. Right. And there's a lot of people that have, uh, again, just kind of, kind of back to a, a tribal mentality that eating healthy is expensive and like automatically getting the mindset of like, I can't afford it. Or, you know, I don't have time to meal prep, you know, they're got kids and work and everything else. So can you share some ideas for like how, you know, how you can eat healthy affordably and how you can properly plan healthy meals, uh, save time and money? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, if we scale it back to the most basic level, we actually kind of touched on it. So it's worth bringing up is don't worry too much about those extra supplements and those things, you know, don't spend the money on those and focus on putting all that into good, as good of a quality food as you can afford. That would be like right. my number one recommendation. Um, a lot of that stuff is really expensive and channel that into getting some good quality food and nourishment. You'll see much better benefits in so many ways versus, you know, just pills and powders. Yeah. But with meal prepping, I do think it can be really overwhelming for a lot of people. You know, it can take hours to sit there and cook for a whole week and isn't necessary, but I do recommend meal planning to a lot of people. It 
me, honestly, it just like speaks, you know, to my organized type A heart, but it saves a ton of money. If you can just plan out, this might look different for everyone. Some people prefer a calendar where it's like, I'm going to grocery shop once a week and I'm going to just plan out like, okay, I'm going to eat the same thing these days or alternate or whatever. Just, you know, meal plan that out, like script out what that menu looks like to plan. And you can get a lot of good overlap there. The other, the way I like to do it is I'll make a list and I'll say like, I'm kind of simple, but like, what are the two breakfasts I want to eat this week? What are the two lunches, two dinners? And I plan it out that way. Mm -hmm. And I personally find that meal prepping isn't realistic for me right now, but one of the easiest things I'll do is I'll bulk prep my protein. I'll bulk prep my healthy grains and I package them in the fridge that way. Mm -hmm. And then I can build my own balanced plates by pulling everything out and be like, okay, these are the pieces I have. What, you know, what is going to be best for me in this moment to then assemble the plate. So that I find is a little bit easier to digest than meal prepping, but still get, you get a lot of good benefit because if you can buy things in bulk, you're going to save more money versus right. trying to do like, I don't know, like 21 gourmet meals throughout the week. <laughs> yeah. So that's definitely, I, I think my biggest piece of advice there with the planning portion Another thing is just if you could be flexible and shop the sales, you know, it's like, okay, I know I need a lean protein, but I don't have my heart set on it being, you know, lean bison, you know, whatever it looks like for you. Like if you can be flexible and just shop the sales, mm -hmm. great. And I'm a really big fan of seasonal produce. It's going to taste better. It's going to have better nutrient levels in it, and it's going to be cheaper in season. Cool. It's good advice. How do you feel about like getting uh, frozen veggies versus fresh? Fresh, because I know a lot of times like frozen is frozen fruits section is is cheaper. Do you think that's just as healthy? Yes, and that might shock people. But what happens is they're usually picking and processing these things at their peak of their ripeness, where they've got a lot of good nutrients. So that's great. Uh, when it comes to like sometimes cooking the vegetables because there's those water-based vitamins, if you're like steaming them and things, you will lose a little bit of that nutrient, but that's normal if you were going to steam fresh broccoli. Right. So I do think that that's a good budget hack is to do some frozen foods and even some canned foods. Just make sure if you're doing canned that you rinse things really well, mm -hmm. uh, you know, get that extra sodium off. That way you can control how much sodium and spice and seasoning then you're putting back onto that. Gotcha. That's good advice. I didn't even think about the sodium piece with canned, but it's definitely there. Cool. So I want to ask you some questions that I like to ask everybody who comes on this podcast. Um, one is who's influencing you right now. And, you know, that can be anybody in your life, not in your life, historical, who you're reading, et cetera, et cetera. So who is it? Yeah, I think the biggest influence in my life right now is my coach and mentor, Tony Steffen like big influence and has helped me with building my business. And I guess he's actually a business coach, but mm -hmm. it's so much more about mindset and yeah. getting out of my own way and like how I view myself, how I view money, how I view the world. Uh, it, it's, he's just had a really, really big impact and I'm, I'm very grateful for him. Very cool. And is he, you said he's a, basically a business coach? Yeah, he's one of my peers that's in our group described him as the Tony Robbins of nutrition. He oh, okay. just works with dietitians and kind of empowering us to create our own way in this profession. That's usually really rigid. You know, most dietitians work in 
hospital setting right, or clinical. yeah. And mm-hmm. so he's kind of like, no, like be an entrepreneur, pave your own way, find your ideal client, your passion and help people that way. Okay. Very cool. I haven't heard of him, but I'm going to look him up. Um, and then the next question is, uh, what does being a warrior monk mean to you and who, or what do you think of? This one, this is hard. I feel like what comes to mind is someone who's resilient, uh, like intentional, kind of, you know, gentle and like a life of service. I don't know. I really like that term though. Yeah, no, I, it's definitely, I, I agree with you. I think looking for that service piece is big. And actually I don't think anyone's ever given me that response before is the, the service piece. But I think that that really hits it on, on the head because you think of a warrior as serving, you know, their country or, you know, their, their people. And then you think of a monk and they're in service to uh, a, a religion or a sense a, a lifestyle or something of that, that nature. So man, that really hits it on the mark. That's a good one. Nice. <laughs> Nailed <Yeah>. it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's a right or wrong answer, but I, I always like asking yeah. the question because I always get a different response from everybody. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Brooke, if people want to follow you, want to work with you, want to get more information from you, uh, where, where can they go to find you? I think the best place to reach me is Instagram. That's kind of where I hang out on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and my handle is at Brooke West underscore RDN. That's, uh, where I like to put a lot of educational, hopefully entertaining content out. I put out a lot of free resources that are printable, downloadable, and do free video trainings and things like that. And then I also started, you know, last year a podcast with some friends called the Health Unfiltered Podcast. And I'm so excited that you're going to be joining us and collaborating with us on an episode soon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to joining you at the end of the month to do that as well. Yeah, so those are kind of really the two big places. But if anyone has questions, like, please feel free to reach out, you know, if I don't have the answer or, you know, I'm happy to give resources or point you in the direction of who you need, but I I always love to help in any way I can. Awesome. Well, Brooke, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast today. Uh, You've been an awesome guest. I love getting nerdy and into the nitty gritty on nutrition and metabolism and, and going back to some of my, my science roots. So I've, I've appreciated this conversation a lot. And I hope a lot of other people are going to get some, some good stuff out of it as well. So thanks again. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Brooke West. She has been a great guest and I'm really looking forward to collaborating with her and the rest of her team that work on the Health Unfiltered podcast, which will be coming out in another week or so. If you haven't, go check out Brooke West underscore RDN. That's her her Instagram handle. She's constantly putting out some really, really great quality information on diet and nutrition, and it's free. And then if you, of course, if you find her information great, you could always get linked up with her uh, to get one-on-one coaching as well. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. As I've said in the introduction, guys, please share the Warrior Monk podcast. Please reach out to me. Send me a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love some feedback. I'm always looking for it and looking to continue to grow through balance. Thanks for joining me and we'll talk to you soon.